For the first time in modern history, the entire world seems to be shut down. Large events have been cancelled, hikes and beaches have been closed off, and shopping is whittled down to only the essentials. However, this can give us a rare glimpse into human impacts on animal behavior. Reports have rolled in of ravenous monkeys in Thailand, tearing each other apart as their main food source from tourists has evaporated. On the other end of the spectrum, we are beginning to see phantoms in the form of big cats strolling in from nearby forests, as large carnivore spottings have increased across the world. I talked with Dr. Justin Sarasi, a wildlife biologist with a long history in human-wildlife interactions. Among other things, Justin studies the effects of human presence on animal behavior and activity, and how they are impacted by our everyday living. In this episode, we discuss changes of animal behavior while humans are in quarantine, possible increases in human-wildlife conflict, and the long-term effects that the shelter-in-place might have. I'm Ashana, and this is Sheltered Spring. So, I suppose my first question for you is, do you think that we're witnessing an actual change in where these animals are living, or are we just witnessing a change in behavior? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and that it's maybe a little too soon to say with much certainty. Um, Presumably, most of the increase that we're seeing in animals, like now using heavily modified, heavily heavily developed environments, um, would be from species that were either living within those environments already or were living in close proximity to human-dominated landscapes who may have been occasional visitors um, at night or at times when human traffic is typically low and are now using these areas uh, more frequently. So it's pretty common to have um, uh, to have sort of synanthropic species that are not necessarily urban residents but are occasional urban visitors. Um, and these might be species that are, you know, more tolerant of human disturbance than something that is exclusively living well out in the woods, um, but less tolerant than the squirrels and red foxes or whatever that live in like downtown urban areas. Just a quick distinction. The term synanthropic refers to a wild species that lives in close proximity to us and benefits from human resources. This can refer to raccoons, skunks, or even foxes or coyotes, depending on where you live. So perhaps now that human disturbance has decreased, these these occasional visitors are moving in, the the urban residents are increasing their activity or expanding their activity temporally. Um, I think that's probably the most likely scenario, but it's certainly possible that individuals and even species that never use human-modified environments are now more willing to do so to sort of move into these areas. Now, you mentioned animals that are more used to human presence. Do you think that we would see these species recolonize or utilize urban areas before we would expect a species like a large carnivore? That's a really cool idea, right? So like, if we're just thinking about like large carnivores, for instance, obviously there's a huge amount of variation in how uh, sort of human tolerant large carnivore species are. Um, for instance, pumas are a relatively human-tolerant large carnivore species. They can often, uh, and black bears are another one that can often like coexist pretty close to developed areas, even though they do tend to avoid direct human activity. Um, 
But for even for something like a puma, which might be a good candidate for sort of expanding its range into more urbanized areas, we know that they do, um, particularly for the population in the Santa Cruz Mountains and also elsewhere, we know that they do go out of their way to avoid people. They avoid um, housing and buildings as sort of a proxy for human disturbance. Um, and so there is potentially this sort of human shield effect where uh, pumas are avoiding developed areas, allowing smaller predators and deer um, to, um, to use those areas with impunity, so to speak. So it's, I think, an open question. To get to your point, I think it's a kind of an open question how long it would take for that human shield effect to break down. Mm -hmm. um, I think you've got a really good sort of working hypothesis that the ones that the species that are already very human tolerant are just going to increase their activity in urbanized areas. Those that are sort of medium tolerant living on the edges of suburbia or whatever, maybe you're like uh, your skunks and, and foxes are going to uh, be more likely to expand in. Whether we have reduced our activity to a sufficient degree and for and will reduce our activity for long enough to see the um, avoidance behavior of something like a puma breakdown, I think is hard to say. Although nature enthusiasts welcome the thought of our four-legged neighbors wandering into our cities, others don't share the same opinion. Every post of an urban carnivore spotting brings its fair share of worried pet owners and parents. However, many studies suggest that these carnivores are just as scared of us as we are them. I'm glad you went into the details of pumas because, as you know, we're seeing a lot more puma sightings around the world. Do you think that large carnivores mixing in urban areas might lead to some sort of human-wildlife conflict? Um. I feel like pumas are not necessarily as conflict prone as other species um, because they're a little bit more discreet in a way, right? Like black bears are going to like break into people's houses and, uh, and ransack them for food. And so if you've got like a cabin in Tahoe, for instance, you better have your, your place fortified <laughs> when the black bears are out in the summer. Um, but they do take pets um, and people are worried about the safety of their kids and larger predators are around. So I think that the, yeah, that any increase in, in animals using um, human landscapes leads to at least a perceived increase in conflict or a perceived or a, a potential increase in conflict, whether or not it actually leads to more conflict is another story. Now on the other end of the spectrum, what do you think will happen to populations that rely on humans as a food source? Say, populations that are mainly fed by tourists. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point. The example that comes to mind for me, even though now I can't remember exactly where it is, maybe like Kuala Lumpur or something, but there's a population of vervet monkeys somewhere that in Southeast Asia <laughs> that um, ex that is like presumably completely dependent on tourist food handouts for and they're super high density um yeah and apparently totally dependent on tourists for for their food um i mean i honestly haven't thought about that too much but yeah you i mean you would imagine so i guess as with some of your other questions i guess it all kind of boils down to like how long it lasts you know if it, if uh if people are on lockdown for a month and it's only during that month that food resources are limited 
then you know maybe you've got less of a problem. But you could imagine for whatever population of vervet mon monkeys I happen to be thinking about, but I can't remember <laughs> where they live for that for that specific scenario where they're um, uh, dependent on uh, tourists who come to feed them. You can imagine that like tourism is going to be down around the world for a long time. People are not going to be like flying internationally for a while. So yeah, that could definitely be an issue. So do you think that any of these changes will carry over in the long term? Or do you think everything will just snap back into place? Well, I mean, honestly, I think everything's just going to snap back <laughs> into place. Um, I think if there's much of a carryover effect, I think it will be in um, uh, sort of how humans perceive wildlife, right? In, in the way that we sort of understand the fact that we're sharing our landscape with, with wildlife, even if we don't think that we are. And which could be really positive, right? The fact that, the fact that you shut down your city for a few weeks and now there's all these animals that people are experiencing that they hadn't experienced in the past um, could lead to sort of positive um, increase in support for conservation or just nature appreciation in general. Um, which I guess could then in turn make more space for wildlife if people actually change their behavior. But even if that doesn't happen, even if we go back to doing exactly what we did before and the animals go back to doing exactly what they did before, um, the exposure and the awareness might be positive <laughs> in the end. And I think that social impact is probably super valuable, you know, as, as if most of these experiences are positive, which reporting that I have seen does always seem to be pretty positive. Like people are just like kind of stoked that there's now animals like running down the street when they, that they hadn't seen before. Um, so that's good. Like, so if any, if urbanites can be reminded that nature exists, <laughs> that's probably a positive thing. It's not that wildlife are suddenly appearing where they never were before. You've been coexisting with wildlife this whole time. You just didn't realize it. So we shut everything down. Now wildlife are here. Once we open up, they'll go away. If that's not the message, and instead the message is when we shut everything down, the wildlife that were always here are freed up a little bit, then, you know, once you go back to normal, you can have in the back of your head, okay, I am sharing space with wildlife. Maybe I can, you know, change whatever small behaviors I can change that might help, help them coexist a little better. While we might not be witnessing a total change in the distribution of animals, we are definitely seeing a change in animal behavior. Even though these changes might not last for long after the shelter-in-place orders lift, Justin believes that this rise in wildlife activity in urban areas can possibly raise awareness for wildlife in general, and even connect us back to our animal neighbors that were somehow forgotten. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sheltered Spring. <laughs>